0: You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour. This This is 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 The Hour. hour. You're listening to
1: The Hour. This
0: is The
2: Hour. With Resident Advisor.
3: Hello and welcome to The Hour, RA's blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews, and lots of other things besides. My name's Ryan Keeling, and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Coming up on this month's show, Ray Philp will be looking at the phenomenon of baby raves, Events where kids and their parents get down on the same dance floor.
4: I like the confetti, the loud music that I don't get to hear everywhere. I really love dancing around with my mummy and daddy. And I like hearing the loud DJ music.
3: And Holly Dicker travels to Amsterdam to meet the team behind Shelter, which over the past couple of years has become one of the city's best clubs.
4: For me, Shelter is, it's an incredible listening space.
3: People are coming in to really hear
4: an artist. In terms of the club scene, it's just superior when it comes to the audio experience here.
3: Last month, we wrote about the efforts of the non-profit organization, Detroit Sound Conservancy, to restore the sound system from club heaven an historic LGBT venue that was open from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. Since we wrote that news piece they've raised enough money through Kickstarter to begin the project which will see the sound system become a mobile setup that will shine a light on the history of this influential venue. Matt McDermott caught up with Dr Carlton Golds from the DSC to hear about how the project came to life.
5: warehouse, the loft, the paradise garage. When does the club cease being just a nightclub and become something else? A crucial landmark for musical development, an important meeting ground for marginalized people. For every iconic nightclub, like the ones listed above, there are others, the music box, better days, but also plenty of important dance floors, DJs, and sound systems most of us have never heard of. It is nightlife, after all. At some point, even if there was a journalist in the room, she's gone home, and all we have is a half-remembered story from someone who was there, living the magic. That is, if they're still alive. The Detroit Sound Conservancy, a nonprofit dedicated to preserving musical legacies, recently launched a Kickstarter campaign to restore the sound system from Club Heaven, a lesser-known but nonetheless crucial location in the development of Detroit dance music. The Gay Club was open from 1984 to 1994 at 7th and Woodward. The resident DJ was Ken Collier, who Stacy Hot Wax Hale described as R. Larry LeBan, R. Frankie Knuckles, R. T. Scott, and Ron Hardy all rolled up into one. We talked with Detroit Sound Conservancy founder Dr. Carl T. about the project. You've just run a successful Kickstarter campaign to restore the Club Heaven sound system. Congratulations, Dr. Goals.
1: Thank you, Matthew. And uh, just, you know, so much appreciation for the many, you know, over 200 backers and uh, a bunch of community partners. And just so we can keep doing it, you know, which is great. So, very grateful and appreciative, and trying to be relaxed today if I can. <laughs>
5: For people who haven't been following the campaign, tell us a little bit about Club Heaven. What it was, why it's important, how it fits into Detroit music history.
1: Big context is, is that Detroit, like many major metropolitan American cities in the 70s and 80s and 90s, had a renaissance uh, in terms of their gay bars. They had a renaissance in their community there. There was a revolution, you know, with places like Stonewall in New York. And there was a revolution. And it really peaked in the early 80s. Of course, people weren't knowing that it was going to be peaking. AIDS was just not even really a rumor yet um, the first uh AIDS case in, in Detroit came out in sort of around eighty three eighty four. you know, that was, that was talked about, you know. And so the scene really peaked and there were just many gay bars. There were options. People could go places. Um, there were things that tailored to different identities. And then there was also a crossover, that there was places where straight crews and people who were just figuring themselves out and young people could go. And Heaven was just a part of that. It was part of a larger after-hours options. You know, there were lots of clubs you could go to until two, and then there was a series of after-hours places for people to go late and um, Kevin was an option, Uh, a club called uh, The Gas Station branded their second floor heaven and then um, sort of created this branding and then then went late and that community shifted and changed over time over about a dozen years, about a decade, uh, beginning in 1984 and a number of DJs came through Uh, but the one that people most aim-checked was was Ken Collier. The community that congealed in the late 80s, early 90s, really was this younger, predominantly black, gay and trans scene, and they were there right as house music was shifting. It was pitching up, the dancing was getting more intense, and then, you know, Madonna's Vogue happened. Twenty years, twenty-five years later, many of those bars are gone, and uh, the actual physical site of Club Heaven is gone. It was turned into a McDonald's. Now it's like a candy store in an old McDonald's. So that's how far we've fallen.
5: <laughs> the Club Heaven sound system has been described as Frankenstein together from now renowned equipment: Serwin Vega sent Surround subwoofers, Altec Lansing 811B horns. Hal's and Walter community speakers. The photos you guys ran with the Kickstarter made it clear that this was a real working sound system. What was it about this particular rig that made it important? And how does an 18 year old who walks into DSC or in like an activation where you have it set up, what are they getting out of seeing the sound system, out of hearing it in action?
1: The effort to repair and restore the sound system was an opportunity, It it was an artifact that was available. I couldn't really believe it was available. I heard rumors going back to 2004 that it hadn't been destroyed. And it's one of those sort of weird opportunities. And then when we were able to salvage it after a gift to the Sound Conservancy, there was this thought that, like, well, we can draw attention to stories that everybody name checks, but not a living memory there. So why not create something that can create a new program? Sound has changed so much since the 80s and the 90s. You know, I think it's gonna be different for them. The The goal is not just the sound, the goal is also to recreate at least some of the atmosphere uh, insofar as we really do hope to activate performers. We hope to have projection. Ron Trent has been doing an event here in the Midwest where it's called Ticket to the Warehouse and it's a curated event in great photographs of these older DJs including Frankie Knuckles and they really curate the system and Ron plays like that older crew play, like that body and soul kind of style. The bass is there and then it's gone. The highs are there and then they're just sizzling. It's not what people are probably hearing in every club. I mean, <laughs> it's 2018, the people going out to clubs here are were born in the late 90s, right? The club was already, heaven was already a empty lottery in McDonald's at that point.
5: You mentioned recreating the atmosphere of the club. Even as someone who didn't get to attend the club, You've spoken with a lot of people who did. Can you set the scene? What was it like to go to Club Heaven in its heyday to rock up to 7th and Woodward at 3 a.m.? Who's around? Who's behind the decks? What's the music that's playing?
1: When we say bringing back atmosphere, we're really thinking about the approach to DJs, integrating performance in it. You know, the drag queens, the lighting. It wasn't just a disco ball, there were spotlights. You know, people were vying for spotlights. You know, so it wasn't just like lights on everybody and everybody sort of dancing, you know, every couple of feet. You know, it was people grabbing the dance floor and and taking hold, you know, and um, I hope we can recreate some of that. And the only way we can do it is by partnerships, by partnering with those people uh, who are from that time and then partnering with younger people. Uh, One of the things I'm most proud of for this whole Kickstarter was... um, the Ruth Ellis Center um, donated some money and, and gave us some promotional support. They're a drop-in center in Highland Park. It's the city in Side of Detroit, and they're a drop-in center for LGBT youth that have been, you know, more or less thrown out of their houses. You know, they have nowhere to go. You know, been disowned in many ways, and it's a place where they can join together. And there are still sort of crews amongst them who are dancing. You know, they're still, even though music has changed so much you know, and, uh, you know, the, the goal will be somehow to integrate with some of that younger generation, you know, too. you know, and see what, and see what cooks.
5: You referred to the Detroit Sound Conservancy and the work you do as positioning your crew as renegades of a sort in terms of archival projects. Earlier when we were speaking, you spoke about a similar project, a sound system that's set up in the National Museum of African American History and Culture which is part of the Smithsonian system in D.C. It is meant to show what an original hip hop sound system would look like. Can you place this project in context?
1: People are doing very creative things. I think we're going through a real tumultuous time. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement has happened. Obviously, the current presidential situation. You know, there's a real struggle in culture. And all these, these institutions have changed and they have to garner new audiences and be competitive and the Smithsonian African American Museum is really cutting edge. It's incredible. It's incredibly beautiful. The story it tells is incredibly vital. How it tells it's very powerful and its acknowledgment to music and and culture is is incredible. The the third, I think the third floor is a whole floor dedicated to music and the mothership is there. The, you know, Parliament Funkadelic's mothership is in the main room and There's like a full hip hop speaker system on display. Hip hop culture is starting to be archived. Disco culture is starting to be archived and presented. And it challenges normal presentation. Things just can't sit behind glass and stare at them and point at them. That doesn't do it. Let's try to engage that soundscape. This is trying to keep a particular kind of sonic legacy alive. And it's a good project for Detroit Sound Conservancy because we're small, we're punchy. We have to struggle for our budget. And so everything we do has to work. It's got to be grant writable. It's got to be programmable. It's got to encourage donors, exactly like the Kickstarter, 200 backers. You know, it's got to engage people. You know, and if it can do that, then it'll have an impact.
3: I'm now going to hand over to one of our reviews editors, Ray Philp who's heading to a rave with a twist.
0: You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor.
6: It's 2pm on a Sunday and you're heading to a party. You're a bit bleary-eyed from a lack of sleep from the night before, but you're powering through anyway. The crowd will be young, very young in fact, but you won't mind because you've got your four-year-old with you who's as excited about getting to the club as you are. In the last decade, this has been an increasingly common scenario and it's thanks to the rise of baby discos. The concept is simple, like any other club night there's a DJ and a dance floor, but the clubbers all happen to be parents and children. The idea of baby and child-friendly parties first emerged in the US in the mid-2000s under the banner of Baby Loves Disco, which is still running today. It was initially set up by Heather Murphy-Monteith, who held monthly events in a Philadelphia club called Fluid. The party promoted itself as an alternative to what it called Mickey Mouse Club-style entertainment, in favour of a grown-up musical element. The concept was brought to the UK in around 2007, and it's only grown more popular since. The demand has been such that several promoters host these parties nationwide most weekends in both club venues and festivals. One of the biggest parties of this nature, Big Fish Little Fish, has been running for five years. It's notable for a couple of reasons. Unlike a lot of other baby discos, the music policy is pretty ravey. In the next few months, they've confirmed Alternate's Mark Archer, The Orb's Alex Patterson, and Two Bad Mice to Play. In September, they'll be throwing a sold out party in Fabric for the first time. I met with Hannah Saunders, the founder of Big Fish, Little Fish, to learn more about her party. Where did this interest in in throwing parties of this nature come from?
7: I'm a lifelong clubber and raver and I've always loved dance music. I've been a big fan. But my career, my job was not involved in music business at all. I was a civil servant in the home office. I was taking the kids to baby groups and this, that and the other. They were nice but a bit boring. I was actually taking my babies to music festivals from when they were like weeks, months old. My daughter's first Glastonbury, she was four months old. There, I found that we were all enjoying this thing and so there was all the colours and the music but there was something I was enjoying it my baby was getting this big sensory experience and it was a lovely thing that we were doing together in the same space and I wasn't forgetting about myself it was tying into something that I love but it was also sharing that with a you know a brand new human being so i couldn't find that outside of the festival experience so i thought why don't i create an event which is what i want to go to so rather than a baby disco or children's disco or anything like that something that is much more inspired by club culture rave culture and designed to be as much fun for grown-ups as children um and so i i just went ahead and did it i had no background in it other than being a parent and a lifelong dance music fan
6: how do you strike the balance when you put on these parties between pleasing the kids on the one hand and pleasing the adults.
7: I wanted to make sure actually that the grown-ups were having a good time, so the, the the music is very much, we say it's it's targeted on the grown-ups, but what we found very quickly, is so it's like drum and bass and acid house and techno and all this, you know, proper club music. Um, but what we found very early on is actually children have a very powerful response, particularly to drum and bass. We found they just even as soon as they can start toddling, they start bouncing to drum and bass. The slightly older children actually really enjoyed dancing with their parents, and they liked the fact that they could see that their parents were having a good time. It kind of was like this circle of, like, really nice things. Everybody was laughing, smiling, and it was all really lovely. So the focus wasn't entirely on the child or entirely on the adult. But then on top of that, we also have introduced sort of activities because it's a bit unreasonable to expect a six-year-old to dance solidly on dance. Well, that wouldn't do it.
4: I like the big balloons, the
8: confetti, the loud music that I don't get to hear everywhere. And I also like... If there's cakes there, I like the (laughs) cakes. I love the craft and and I enjoy playing
4: um, with the ginormous balloons and I like hearing the loud
7: DJ music. Right from the beginning we had sort of effects over the dance floor, the sorts of things I thought would work. So we have, you know, bubbles going out, we have glitter cannons, things that are sensory. Obviously, we're in environments where all the club lighting's going on, and it's always very, very sensory kind of experience. It's exactly the sort of things you find in what they call baby sensory groups, but we've got these going on over, because clubs are very like that, you know. Um, We do the parachute dance, and all the kids get glow stick and things. But then the activities, to give something a bit of a change for people, we actually have the children's crafting activities. We try to actually put the craft tables actually right in the dance space, so that even when the kids are, you know, making themselves little rave headband or whatever it is the parents can still be there listening to the music so we're not having it all separated out we also have recognized that people with very very young children might not want to wear them in the sling on the whole time so we have like a little baby chill out space where they can put their babies down and they don't get trodden on by a five-year-old we work hard to make it family friendly but there is this emphasis on yes grown-ups you might be a parent but you also are allowed to have a good time enjoying something that you've always enjoyed
6: If you're thinking of a party of this nature, were there things beyond the obvious things that you had to consider when you were putting this together?
7: I literally designed this thinking about what would work with my family. And so I always do a site visit to all venues and literally walk through, what is it like arriving at this venue with a baby, with a three-year-old, with a seven-year-old? How will children and the families as a whole interact with the environment? So you've got to think about stairs, you've got to think about where you put your buggies, you've got to think about making sure that there's a place that they can change their babies that isn't too difficult. Because I'm seeing it through the lens of my own family and being a parent myself, And so that's the way I look at it when I literally walk through a venue and say, okay, what do they need? Or the rest of it? So for instance, I don't allow any glass in the venue at all. All the managers of Big Fish, Little Fish, we literally go around on our hands and knees, sticking our fingers into little corners and making sure everything's absolutely safe environment quite often if i can i take my own children out because if there's anything in the venue that's remotely dangerous for a five-year-old my kids would find it
6: have djs described playing a certain way to like a, what was what is a different audience probably it's to their typical very, weekend gig
7: this is really interesting actually i've had very famous djs um including most recently phil hartnall before the of tour um actually say I'm, I'm i'm actually a bit nervous about doing this what what should, should I? What should I do? What? How do I? How do I play this? And um, I actually, there is a music policy, which is do what you normally play. Play as if you're doing it. At Two AM at Fabric. Don't dumb it down. Yeah, it, it's quite that they often are more nervous. I remember DJ Food said to me that the first time he played us was the most nervous he'd been playing a gig for about twenty years. But then they come and they have a great time. They love the audience appreciation. Everything from obviously seeing little toddlers dance and appreciate the music is just really fantastic life-affirming it's real sort of passing on the rave baton it feels like but also the adults as well they're so grateful to have some decent tunes to be out and about and dancing to it's really lovely and then the other thing that DJs find as well is if they if they are parents and most of them are that they actually get to show what they do for a living to their children which they don't normally have that experience so
6: you've been doing this for five years now yes um to what extent have you observed this becoming a phenomenon, I guess?
7: Yeah, over that five years, so we started off at the end of the road in Brixton. Within two months, I was running up in North London. Over that five years, we now have big fish, lotfish teams who deliver big fish, lotfish events. All over the UK, there's a Scotland team run by Kirsty and Liam. And then all the way down in the southwest, we've got Neil and Abbey based in Paynton who run down into Cornwall and they've run parties in Plymouth. We go all the way from Wales, uh, the BBC Music biggest weekend this year in Swansea, which is superb, and then all the way over to East Anglia this. August I'll be playing our first ever festival in Belfast and indeed we've now got teams over in Australia who are running them very successfully in Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast We've had interest in doing things in places like South Korea, Nairobi We've got our big fifth birthday anniversary of Fabric in September like a dream come true for me. We've already played Glastonbury Festival a couple of times, which was also just quite mind blowing for me. And um, the things like the National Gallery and the Victoria and Albert Museum—it's really struck a chord with people. The family is spreading near and far, and it's lovely.
6: To what extent do you see children actively taking in? the musical experience
7: the vast majority of the children who come along to big fish Little Fish spend a lot of their time dancing the biggest space in any big fish Little Fish is given over to the dance floor and that's where you see the adults and children all dancing together it's a lot of engagement with the music it's great actually so it's like the older ones actually come up and stare over the barrier to see how the DJs actually using the mix and things like that and actually have really interesting questions and sometimes we let them come up at the end and have a little look.
6: To learn more about how children process these experiences, I spoke to Grace Watts from the British Association of Music Therapy.
9: Music brings people together. So there will be a community feeling to an event like a baby disco. And that's really important because... We know that relationships can be supported through music. You learn about others through music. You learn about yourself through music. So there's a lot of social interaction and social skills at play when you're engaging in something like a a baby disco. It's a fun and uh, pleasurable way for parents to be able to socialize with their children on their terms, I guess, because I think when you become a parent, lots of things become about doing what your child wants to do, which is fundamentally important. But it's also important for parents to still retain a sense of who they are. So being able to do something that they want to do on their terms, but being able to do that with their child is really important. And of course, they then get to do that with other parents. But music is all about movement and dance and emotion. The word emotion includes motion and music and motion are inextricably linked. So something important happens physically. Um, Children get to express themselves through physical movement. Um, They can explore Um, hand-eye coordination, body movement, so they're getting a sense of their proprioception in terms of, you know, they they have a sense of what happens when they they move their arm in response to somebody else moving their arm, they're getting a a real um, experience of of who they are physically through their bodies, but also what's happening is um, their confidence is being built up, they're exploring self-expression and self-esteem, And fundamentally, they're learning about their world through a sensory experience. And sensory activities, in addition to being fun and interesting, encourage children to explore and investigate their world around them. And we're designed to explore the world through our senses. What it's doing in terms of a child's development is supporting them to use a scientific method of observing, forming a hypothesis, experimenting and making conclusions so it's allowing them to to form thought processes and and that's really important in terms of um working out where their thresholds are for different sensory information so it helps their brain to create stronger connections uh to sensory information and learn which bits of that information is is useful and which they can filter out That's quite a sophisticated process, having that much stimuli around you and then learning to filter what's manageable that's where kids particularly younger children will need help learning how to use their senses so it's important that they're offered a range of opportunities to explore them but in in the case of a baby disco where depending on a child's stage of development they may be able to cope or manage with that full range of stimuli but actually if they're a younger child and they're not as developed in in their growth then they may need uh, an adult to support them more in accessing it all so it doesn't become too Overwhelming for them, um, but it's sensory play enhances learning in a really exciting way, and it's a, it's a great way for children to explore the world they live in and how they relate to it and how it relates to them. Um, and we we know research shows us that sensory play supports language development, cognitive growth, fine and gross motor skills, problem solving skills, and and social interaction, which I was talking about earlier. So. So much is going on in an environment like that, but that's where, the, you know, the parental role is important in supporting the child to, to manage it and have a, a good as possible experience from it.
4: We the confetti can dancing around with my mummy and daddy.
9: We know that music and language development goes hand in hand and that's partly because of the way in which music structured, the rhythm and the pace of it. Those things help with the acquisition of language skills. The science tells us that music is processed across the brain, not just in one area. So the, the neural pathways that get laid down when you're engaging with music support the, the the neural pathways that are involved in language development as well. As they're building, they trigger a child's inclination for an ability in completing more complex learning tasks. So um, the, the music can support on that level. But um, we also know that on an emotional level, it can support with bonding. So some important social skills are happening there for for children um, through a musical experience. And of course, there's a a chemical uh, experience or process that's being experienced. Um, Endorphins are released when... We're having pleasurable experiences um, and we know that endorphins are released when we listen to music that we enjoy and and there's something important about having that experience and having that that feeling, even though at the age of two and a half you might not understand what's happening to you, but there's something about having that experience and knowing what that feels like when it happens again. So much of what happens in music is repetitive, and that's really important for a child's uh, learning development because they only learn by doing and doing again and again. So you'll see a child play with um, bricks in a box, for example, and they put all the bricks in the box, and. Um, we might think, gosh, why are they doing this for the hundredth time? But for them, they're still learning that. You know, that's something that's really new for them, and and they're laying down really important pathways in their brain. Um, And and that's what music can really support with the strengthening and and the the developing of, of those pathways that can help children navigate their way through the world.
6: There's a baby disco called Mini Maneuvers that I'd heard about when I was living in Glasgow a few years ago and it's been running regular events in the west of Scotland since 2015. I had the opportunity to check out the party firsthand, so I got a train to Glasgow to speak to the organiser, Sarah Gibbons.
0: My name's Sarah Gibbons and I run Mini Maneuvers which is a dance party for club kids and parents in Glasgow. People that I knew who had kids weren't ever going out to clubs and they were never going out for dinner and never going out for food and never going to the pub. So Many Maneuvers isn't just a party, it's a bit of a combination of food, drink, DJs during the day for families. And we do arts and crafts and activities at the party too. We do a lot of like disco themed crafts because the music we play is mainly house and disco. And like this week for instance the kids are all making disco balls out of like paper plates and tin foil and stuff and they take a wee disco ball home and hopefully put it up on their walls.
6: How did you kind of come to realise that this was uh, a necessary thing?
0: People have been doing baby discos and things in Glasgow for years like in pubs there's been things on it's not a new concept but what I felt was there was nothing that appealed to me and my friends there was some things that were kind of billed as like baby raves and raves is maybe a bit too more like too dance musicy, too too much banging like music for me and my pals, we quite like disco, It was a bit more chilled out. And then some of the things, it was like a baby disco where it was just a DJ and there wasn't so much stuff for the kids. So what I tried to do was combine things for the adults, i.e. good music, DJs, food and a bar. And then stuff for kids, the soft play, the arts and crafts, the face painting. So it's a bit of amalgamation of a couple of ideas. All rolled into one and i think it works pretty well
6: so would you say that the musical element is more for the adults than for the kids
0: yes very much so that the music is for the adults i mean baby raves and like baby parties and these kind of kids club nights are really for the adults it's so that the adults can go out and have a good time with their kids people i think are Like people are looking for things to do where the whole family has fun There's so many things that when you take your kids to soft play or you take your kids like swimming or whatever it's all about the kids and the parents are maybe not having such a good time The aim of many manoeuvres is that the kids have a good time and the adults have a good time So we always book like good DJs and we book people who are playing like the current kind of club scene It's basically for parents who can't go out on a Saturday night to see whoever are playing they can come and see them at our party during the day on a Sunday bring their kids. We've had Optimal playing at our Christmas party which is a big, a big coup for us. Um, that was really good. We had Jerry Lyons playing at that one as well, we've had a Clear Fifi playing. We have had We Should Hang Out More playing before for us who do a lot of disco. and Pot have played for us a couple of times, they are like really big in Glasgow and. We've got a huge fan base, so that's they've been really good parties. Uh, Pro vinylist Karim playing for us. Quite a lot of people who are well known in Glasgow.
6: Is there like a particular party or a highlight of a party that stands out for you as something that was like a really good example of like how great this thing can be?
0: Every single party it just gets better and better really. The Christmas parties are good fun and the ones around Hugman a are good fun because that in itself is just a big festive occasion and like the Christmas one we did with Optimo was really good because we had a guy who actually looked like the Miracle on 34th Street Santa Claus. He looked like the real McCoy Santa and the place that we had it in had a glass roof. So we did this elaborate thing where we made out, we played over like this microphone like the noise of Santa crashing into the roof. So all the kids thought that there was a crash and that the roof had smashed. And then this santa claus guy came to the balcony and was like waving over at everyone and then optimo were playing and they played like the jeff mills like jingle bells thing which was just like so mad so that kind of stuff was just really fun adults are loving like the music just found the whole thing hilarious the kids thought it was the real santa it's just really good to see adults and kids all having fun together because like when i take my daughter to the soft play which i've actually only done twice because I hate it. It's just so boring. So it's really good to bring all these things together and everyone's having a good time.
6: So how exactly do you play to a crowd of children? To find out, I spoke to Rebecca, a Glasgow-based DJ, to dig into how she approached that particular gig.
10: Hello, my name is Becky Marshall, otherwise known as Rebecca. I am a DJ and a and and today I've been playing at Mini Maneuvers.
6: So you've just played your gig, uh, how did you find the experience?
10: It was really, really good fun. Um, actually, bizarrely, a much more stressful gig to plan for than a lot of other gigs. <laughs> um, partly because, I guess, you're thinking about pleasing, you know, parents that might knock it out that much. Who have a certain type of music that they're hoping to hear, but also playing for children. Um, so thinking about, I guess, the type of music that they might, might want to hear as well.
6: How did you go about making that calculation, as, as difficult as that may seem?
10: I think the f- first thing that I kind of did was try and put some like parameters on the style of music that I was going to play, so I decided to play a lot of um, sort of early 90s to like early 2000s house music and um, a lot of kind of vocal piano based stuff that had like a lot going on rather than just kind of kick drums and so choosing dance music because i thought that that's what the parents might want to hear and um, but also trying to play i guess a more fun upbeat style of dance music than i might usually play
6: how would you describe the, uh, atmosphere throughout the party because obviously it's very different sort of uh, vibe. But we had a conversation earlier in which you mentioned that like the music provided this like extra dimension to what would usually be just parents looking after kids. Do you want to just expand yeah, on that a little bit? Yeah,
10: absolutely. I think um, it's a really interesting point because the spaces in which kind of parents come together in order to have fun with their kids, it's like you know, play dates or. Uh, Crashes or any sort of environment where you've got like a big bunch of kids all together and it's very rare that you would have relatively loud music playing in those spaces and I think what the music does in that space is that it I guess for the parents but also probably for the kids it creates quite a kind of calming atmosphere across the board because rather than the kind of accented sounds that are being heard, being, you know, screams and bursting balloons and kids running around and shouting at each other. The the general sound level is, is the music. And then, I guess, the kids are interacting maybe in a slightly different way than they would usually do with other kids because the sounds that they portray to the other kids are not the primary thing in that space. And, and also probably for the parents as well who are quite tired of hearing their kids shouting and screaming at each other, (laughs) Um, they are actually able to hear kind of a nice bunch of music, but also still be in a a fun environment for their kids too.
6: So, uh, I've just been to Mini Maneuvers, and um, it all felt slightly unreal. On the one hand, the scene was familiar. Um, There's a DJ booth on the stage, there's a large dance floor below that, and a bar at the back. But at any one time there were about a dozen kids running around, usually holding balloons or hula hoops. The parents are mostly socialising on the margins, but they'd occasionally hit the dance floor alongside the kids. The lighting was also pretty unusual. Uh, it was notably soft and warm, mostly blues, pinks, oranges and yellows. When I examined the scene more closely, it got even stranger. Something that looked like a smoke machine was uh, blowing out bubbles. There was a queue in one corner for face paints, and a soft play area in another. It wasn't easy to tell how much kids were actually enjoying the music, which was mostly house and disco, but I did see one boy drumming on a soft play cylinder with his dad, so the experience was obviously registering in some way. What you make of baby discos will depend a lot on your perspective. If you're single and in your 20s, they clearly won't hold much appeal. If you're a stressed out, time-poor parent, A baby disco may feel like an escape hatch through which you can juggle several types of quality time. I found the atmosphere at my first baby disco oddly heartwarming, and I couldn't help admire the passion and drive of the promoters I spoke to.
7: It's not all just looking over your shoulder and trying to recapture your youth. It's actually creating new memories with your family and with your friends as well and their kids on the dance floor together and sort of sharing that love of club culture and what it can mean for you as a person, how it really sort of adds to your life, really benefits all that sort of richness it gives you to you as a human being. But the children can grasp that from an early age.
3: Just before the Amsterdam dance event in 2016 a new club called Shelter opened with the promise of fantastic sound and a space for veteran clubbers and newcomers alike. Fast forward to 2018 and the club is now thriving. Holly Dicker travelled to Amsterdam recently to meet Shelter's team who gave her a tour of the space and the club's sound system while offering their thoughts on the current state of nightlife in the Dutch capital.
8: It is notoriously difficult to open a club and to keep it running, especially in Amsterdam, Holland's nightlife capital. There are 503 venues listed on RA. Competition is fierce, and all it takes is one wrong move to be stigmatised by Amsterdam's choosy clubbing community. It is why shelter kept communications vague and mysterious in the beginning. The 700 capacity basement club officially threw open the hatch during ADE 2016. It has since become a go-to place to hear underground house and techno on one of the best sound systems in the country. If you're a tourist, like me, traveling into Amsterdam by train, Shelter is literally the first club you come across. Take the north exit at Amsterdam Central Station, away from the bustling city center, and you'll find the free ferry service that shuttles you across the IJ River to Amsterdam Nord, a hip and up-and-coming district well worth exploring. There's the NDSM Docklands with its graffitied industrial buildings, artist studios, cool bars and restaurants. NDSM is also the site of warehouse raves and festivals like Digital and Strange Sounds from Beyond. A whole crop of new music venues makes Amsterdam Nord a great spot for night owls too. There's the restaurant Come Skate Park, Garage Nord. Paradiso Nord at Tullhausen, Nordership, a, a club on an old pirate radio boat and Shelter, located at the foot of the iconic Amsterdam Tower. I've come here on the Tuesday before Deckmantle Festival to take a tour of the club space and to meet the Shelter family that keeps it all running smoothly. We're on the doorstep of Shelter and I'm with night manager Aeneas. Aeneas, please uh, take us a little tour around the club. Has anyone ever fallen down these steps before?
11: Yeah, it does happen, but nothing bad ever happened. And then you arrive in the, the main entrance.
8: What's this sort of grass thing on the wall there?
11: It's our logo actually.
8: Is it growing or is it?
11: It's moss, it's real, but it's not growing.
8: Oh, okay.
11: (laughs) Then you come in.
8: So we're taking a right and going into what, the chill-out?
11: It's a non-smoking chill-out area. And uh, now we're at the lockers area. So it's kind of the area where people arrive and just like get ready to party.
8: So, Anaïs, how long have you been working at shelter?
11: I started initially as a runner and then slowly I moved up. I was working uh, doing the production assistant and now I'm a floor manager.
8: And you've been here since the very beginning, right?
11: Yeah, exactly. The energy between the staff is really natural and nice and everybody's here because they like to party. And we have quite an international team, which is nice because everybody brings their own kind of home experience of what clubbing is. So it's kind of a melting pot of clubbing in different cities in Europe and that's really great.
8: So, we've taken a dive to the left through a secret door, which turns out to be the backstage. It's covered in graffiti and full of boxes. You're in the midst of, kind of probably one of the busiest weekends in the club. Can you kind of walk us through how you prepare for four nights in a row open?
11: Yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's quite different because the first night is uh, the Dick Mantle concerts. Uh, so it's a different setup. It's not a normal club night. It's a lot of concerts followed one by another. Uh, so you, there's a lot of build-up beha- before that, but I think Brana going to talk about it more. And then the nights after, it's a lot of just getting the room, get it ready, getting enough stock because uh, you need much more like drinks. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible the number of bottle of water we sell.
8: And lots of British people, lots of thirsty British people coming over for the weekend. Do you have like a favourite memory from your extensive time here? You were telling me that you have been here almost every single night since Shelter's been open. What were the highlights?
11: Uh, I think the highlights is when you're working and you actually don't want to work because you want to be in the middle of the dance floor and just dancing your ass off. But uh, I think some memorable moment, it was there was one time when, uh, I don't remember who was playing, but the, one of the light technicians just used ceiling, every cube on the ceiling, as a, as a strobe. So you can the whole, I remember the whole bar, everybody stopped serving and everybody looked at each other I was like, what just happened? It was just like a huge thunder in the club. And the, yeah, the the vibe just went crazy. There was another time with the, the rush hour night when it was really hot in the club and it was just so hot that people were like, okay, it's hot, I'm just going to get topless and I'm sweaty and I don't care. And Antel was playing and I remember also I was picking up glasses in the, in the club and at some point I just stopped and I stood up and the, the whole room was just on fire and you're like wow this is just like that's why i'm doing what i'm doing
8: take me to the dance floor then yeah
11: let's go that's where the the magic happens (laughs) (laughs) it's a big open space like a playground for adults i would say
8: so there's a bunch of plants kind of <laughs> loitering in front of the booth.
11: The plants came in the first time I think it was for VBX party. because They wanted a bit more of greenery and they stuck around and we sometimes put it in, sometimes we put them out depending on the night and how we feel.
8: Maybe you can describe the space for people at home who have never been.
11: So it's a long uh, rectangle which at the entrance on the right you have a long bar. On the left you can have some seats and then you have at the end the booth with our uh, stacks of uh, function ones on the right side, and then the dance floor area. With uh, and the booth is an island, so you can just walk around it.
8: Except not today, because it's being demolished in preparation for Deckmantle Festival. So we're going to find out what's what's going on there. Later in the program, we'll continue our tour and meet Brona Lynch, aka the Chief, who designed and installed Shelter's first-class sound system. We'll also come back to that missing DJ booth but first I take the disco lift up to Shelter's headquarters in the Amsterdam Tower to speak to its founders, Marine and Koya. <laughs> going down.
2: <laughs> we're lucky there's a pretty good track.
8: So we're going the back way then? Yes. I'm with Koya and Marine from Shelter. We're in Amsterdam Noord. Guys, can you tell us a bit about why this area is quite important for Amsterdam right now?
12: North of Amsterdam is really growing as a place for young people to live in, uh, but also as a place to um, go out at night. There's a lot of cultural things happening. We got festivals at the NDSM, uh, we got uh, the tower in general, uh, and us in the basement. We got the down, which is uh, part of Paradiso Amsterdam, which is like, huge uh, and you see over the last few years that the north of Amsterdam is really
2: picking up and it only just begun, there's, uh, there's a lot to come here. People call it the the, um, the Brooklyn of, uh, of Amsterdam uh, because it's uh, it, it used to be a very industrial terrain, there wasn't really anything there except warehouses and um, maybe just a few squatters. Now recently uh, with Amsterdam, the centre of Amsterdam becoming uh, so populated, so uh, congested, uh, so many tourists. Um, people are looking more and more towards the outskirts of Amsterdam. And Amsterdam North just has this unique, special vibe to it. And this is sort of an important reason why our club is here.
8: How did you two find each other? Why did you decide to do something crazy like set up a club together?
2: Uh, I got asked
12: to, to uh, put up a club underneath the tower called Shelter. Uh, and there wasn't really a team and the first partner in crime that I needed to have was uh, was somebody with a good network and uh, a common sense about music. Uh, and I've heard about Koya quite some years before that when he was running for a nightmare in Amsterdam actually. And he left a very, very good impression. Two or three weeks after I got asked for this position in the club, uh, I came across Koya in the school. And we had a long and, and deep conversation about nightlife and clubbing and music and life in general. Two weeks later we were colleagues and uh, partners and founding fathers of the, of the of the club.
2: Around the time when Trouw was closing, I used to work for Trouw. I was uh, artist host and uh, later on assistant programmer. The dream was to, to open my own club. Right when Trouw closed, uh, the current nightmare came up for re-election. And I challenged him. I almost beat him, but because he really did a uh, he did a really good job in Amsterdam, uh, introducing the 24-hour license and uh, really putting the nightlife of Amsterdam uh, uh, on the international map. So I didn't really mind losing that much. It was a great experience, and out of it came that you know I got to meet uh, Marijn and uh, basically Shelter was born out of that experience. So it uh, taught me a lot.
12: What we then discuss is what what are for us the most important pillars of of having a, a proper good club. We wanted to be an international club with quality in mind. Acoustics, uh, sound, crowds and uh, lineups, I think those were the key stones that we that we founded the club on. And what you do then is you discuss with a lot of friends, uh, DJs, booking agencies. With that you, you come into a phase of development, uh, designing the club of course, but also uh, treating it acoustically, getting a sound system in, getting a, a quality uh, personnel in, so somebody that knows how to work an audio system, somebody that knows how to get the artist in, somebody that knows how to do marketing, and all these steps needed to be done in in quite a short time. We had nine nine months from the beginning till opening, so it was. Quite a race.
8: And Marianne, what's your background? How did you end up kind of with this project on your lap? Yeah,
12: been in nightlife for the last 15 years, mainly in front of the DJ Boot dancing. Then lately I, I, I became more involved uh, in a couple of nightclubs in Amsterdam, helping them out. One of the owners of the shelter as a building, they, they uh, contacted me to say, hey, we would like to hear your vision of what a good club would be. I gave them that vision and then they said, okay, there you go, 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 go do it, go make it.
8: So you essentially had an empty shell. What was the next sort of phase from that point?
2: We spent a lot of time in the empty shell, walking around there, looking at different ideas, drawing on uh, construction maps, and just looking at the different possibilities. Layouts. Uh, Layouts, yeah. And for several reasons, Uh, we wanted to build a very solid uh, foundation based on good acoustics and good sound. We didn't really have a lot of time to build the club, so there was no time to design this very elaborate uh, club we just had to go for something that was simple and straight, which is most uh, mostly preferable and it kind of fits our personalities and our and our visions as well. Uh, our mantra for those months was acoustics, 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 sound sound sound. We just kept repeating that to everybody involved in the club, construction workers, uh, financers, whatever. everybody knew at some point, that this was what the club was going to be uh, in the beginning. like The foundation of the club was going to be based on those two principles.
8: Opening night shelter was during ADE 2016. Take us to opening night. Uh, Who was playing? What was the atmosphere like?
2: It's an indescribable feeling really. It was uh, elation, stress, uh, happiness, everything kind of mixed together.
8: Were you crying
2: uh, at the end of the night? Yeah. At the, during the night, no. I was too focused to uh, to cry on, on on artists on everything uh, going on. But there was William Joko, who's now resident. He was playing Tom Trago. It was great having Moody Man for the opening night, which that was really incredible. Uh, when he confirmed, I was just I couldn't believe it because usually. Clubs, you know, need to go a few miles before they can book a legend like like Moody Man, So that was a that was a huge thing. When we looked at uh, Amsterdam uh, and we thought about uh, how can we add something to the uh, offering of the nightlife of the clubs in Amsterdam, uh, because we didn't just want to open like just another club. It wanted, we wanted to open like something that would hopefully be an, an institution in in years to come. Um, And uh, one of those was a club with an international allure, with an uh, international vision, uh, that would uh, be able to put put, uh, local artists in an international spotlight for them to grow internationally. Uh, Secondly was after Trouw. There hasn't really been a club that really focused on quality of uh, sound and hospitality and, uh, and, and vibe. Uh, where bigger DJs uh, could, really, um, could really call it their home in Amsterdam. Uh, the school, uh, which uh, a lot of people see as the continuation of Trouw, went uh, their own direction which is more, well, it's called the school for a reason. They want to educate people more and they want to um, showcase new artists and, and lesser known artists. Uh, that's not really the club that Shelter is. Shelter is a club that um, hosts bigger artists, um, more um, artists with bigger profiles, but puts them in such a uh, surroundings, in such a context, the, where they can really flourish, where people can really see their favorite DJs in the best possible way.
8: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might have described it like in a living room setting, like big DJs in a
2: in an intimate space. In an intimate space, yeah, yeah. yeah it's I mean, uh, Shelter is a is a relatively uh, a, a big club. It fits like 800 people. Um, but it feels uh, it, it feels very intimate. So even with uh, let's say 250, 300 people on the dance floor, uh, which uh, which is a, which is a quiet night for us. It feels like an intimate party because everybody is dancing around the DJ booth and there's a lot of contact between DJ and um, uh, people on the dance floor and there's a lot of interaction and it's very uh, there's a connection It's very open and connected. That feels wonderful. We're really glad we made that work.
8: Does Shelter have um, a door policy in place or is it sort of you're welcoming anyone who comes to the club?
12: We're an inclusive club. We're not there to judge. Uh, we're there to welcome you, you know, it's shelter. We, we give you a place to hide from the night and, and be together with, with like-minded people, but also maybe with different crowds. The thing that we're most proud of is the diversity on our dance floor, both in gender, as in color, as in, in age, uh, and that's something what, what we found really uh, a strong point of our club and, and is also maybe what nightlife is about. Um, so yeah, of course there's a door policy and there is a door host, uh, but if you have the right uh, attitude, mindset, smile, uh, sparkle in your eyes, then then you're more than welcome to come party with us. It's not that, that we're asking you who, uh, the DJs that plays at two o'clock and what's his latest releases, and if you don't answer that uh, correctly, you're not welcomed. Mm. We're open, we're welcoming, but of course there is a set of rules which is for me common knowledge for us it's common knowledge and as long as you you stay within those boundaries or within those uh, lines then then yeah uh, come party with us
2: inside the club of course we're creating a, a space where everyone should should feel safe to do whatever they want to do. We're a very uh, helpful club in the sense that when somebody has a bad time, uh, gets harassed or doesn't uh, a pill doesn't work that well, we are not going to ask like, "Oh my god, did you use drugs?" Blah, blah blah. We're we're just we'll stay with you even for the rest of the night if you want some one of us to sit with you. You know, we we're there to to help people and Uh, to welcome people. Even people that might be unexperienced in the nightlife and uh, not really uh, know what it's all about. We'd rather have those people come over so we can kind of educate them and uh, teach them about uh, club culture. So we we strive for a good mix of more experienced clubbers, hardcore ravers, some younger crowds, people of color that are uh, from different musical scenes. We like to create this mix because from that mix comes some kind of uh, magic. Yeah.
8: Let's have like one of your your highlights, your favorite sort of moments, a moment where you just think I think we've made it here.
2: For me
12: it's uh, it's Phila uh, Lobos playing in our club. This was something that we discussed of course before we even opened the, opened the club.
2: Yeah, when we picked him up at the airport he said uh, I'm so glad to play in a club in Amsterdam again because he hadn't played a club show in Amsterdam for seven or eight years before playing uh, the, the Night in Shelter. So that was definitely a highlight for me as well. Another one, uh, which is maybe more of on a personal note or something, uh, was that one of my best friends, uh, uh, JP, who is actually a resident at the school, he uh, plays every now and then in uh, in shelter and uh, we put him uh, on a night with Marcel Detman. This night was just such a magical moment and uh, you know, it was Marcel picking up JP and throwing him around and they played back-to-back for like uh, another four hours and it was so good to see good personal friends but also uh, an artist that I really look up to like Marcel Detman to really really uh, love the club and embrace it and something extra happening than just your regular club night, something special happens, It's, it's magical.
8: Rona Lynch might be one of the most important people at Shelter. She is the sound engineer and visionary behind the club's first-class sound system. Shelter also has a unique DJ booth. It's a floating island at the back of the room. But today, there's just a stain on the floor where it once used to stand. I asked Brona to explain what happened to the DJ booth and to break down the sound system for me. Okay,
4: so we're just entering the space as any customer would from the doors at the back of the room. Um, We have the bar on the right. And as you walk in, you see directly two fills pointed towards you. Um, these are fills. These are there to fill in the, any blank spots and I'll come back to them later and I'll go straight into the main system. So we walk through here. This is usually a little quieter, of course, because I wanted to reserve space of resting points in the room. Uh, the idea was to try and deviate from having a concert style setup. that you walk into the room, your DJ is at the center point maybe on a stage, not here, for that reason that I'm going to explain that all of the audio, all of the, f- the, the, the whole show comes from the front in clubs these days and this is something that I wanted to deviate from. So hence the choice for a four-point sound system. So I w- don't want the sound to just come from the front, I want people at the back to experience what people at the front are experiencing too and maybe their focus might change to one another or you know, a stranger in the room and not just be all pointing at the DJ like it's a sunrise, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so now we're starting in the center of the room, which is a sort of the idea of creating the bubble of sound. So we have uh, a four point system which works best in a square, a perfect square if you can. So that's what we've created here. Behind that, on the sides of behind the DJ booth, you'll see smaller speakers, smaller fills. Which are kind of resting points. You should still be in the sound, feel it, but it's in no way as intense as on the dance floor. It's pretty uh, daunting to look at. It's pretty huge, as you see a stack of subs there that are measuring like three or so meters high. So it may look a bit overpowered, but from working in smaller venues with uh, smaller sound systems that are slightly underpowered and pushing everything to the edge that you hear that edginess and amps on the edge and the system is on the edge. I wanted to avoid that again Mm -hmm. and just have something that I'm not going to have to push that has a lot of power, that at low volumes performs, that has the detail at low volumes. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like a lot of clubs uh, all over the world are operating at far too high a volume. Like we're clubbing now for 12, 14, 16, maybe 24 hours. You know, it doesn't need to be a constant 103 in your face for you to feel it so what i wanted to do is have high impact at lower volumes there's a lot more factors at work than just the system itself that makes the the experience the audio experience as good as it is one of those being the acoustic job one of the main things is the acoustic treatment that's been done making plans and decisions of and getting the right consultation of what we can do to make it sound less like a concrete box and preserve the uh the aesthetic of concrete because of course they want to you want to keep that it's an underground feeling and it's kind of what suits the space and techno and, and whatnot but uh so with some compromise we've put a lot of time into figuring out you'll see in the ceiling we have baffles that are treated with uh, textile and with a foam on a wooden frame they also work as light fittings um, so they do they do a huge amount of work to stop reflections from the ceiling and if you look to the back of the room to the left side and to the front you see blue woodwork so this is a false wall behind all of that is 40 centimeters of space and then more acoustic treatment so we've lost some space in the room but for what we've lost in space it's made up hugely in sound, in retaining the low end and just having a great experience in the booth for the DJ, not having reflections and having their own bubble, as it were. Lucky as well that the height of the ceiling is as it is, that it's not a super low ceiling, you know, that you can get the system up there, you can get the height for the wave to develop, for the horns to really sing in a positive sense.
8: Speaking of the DJ booth, which isn't actually here at the moment, But that's because you are preparing for a big concert on Thursday night with Eve Toomer, Tim Hecker and Aisha Devi and Violation Imminent, a real tour de force of live acts there. Can you maybe talk about how the sound adapts and also what you're building to replace the DJ booth, which right now is just a shadow. Just a dirty stain on the floor (laughs) of where it used to be. So yeah, luckily I wasn't present for the
4: removal of the DJ booth, but uh, here we are now, and it's miraculously gone. Um, we, we've taken it out for for deck mantle for the the concert evenings. So we see uh, this open space will be replaced with a stage uh, between the two pillars, right to the back in your kind of concert setup. Um, and yeah, we did it last year like this, and it worked out really well. So it really suits uh, the night because you know it's it's live performance. It isn't. A DJ night or a DJ playing artists are you know getting up there putting themselves their their work uh, on the line so we have it in this stage set up um, I really want to have so, do some drum recordings in this room and stuff because actually the acoustics of the room uh, I'm behind it that it can handle anything it sounds great for the room that it is so so yeah that's the beautiful thing about this place is I feel like we can provide provide anything. DeckMonts will come along with artists, with singers, with live shows like this and you know it works. That's the thing comes back to again what I was saying about the system at lower volumes and that the detail is there. So the difference between say our DJ nights and these performances, dynamics is a huge part of it. So it's not going to be 4-4 beat banging away all night, you know, there's going to be moments of silence, vocals, acapellas, all of that stuff and you really need a detailed system and room to pick that up and it's adapted itself really well to that. So I'm really excited about, about Thursday, even if it means that we have to take out and remove the DJ booth.
8: So are you operating the system at night?
4: In the summer I'm not here as much, I'm touring with Vince Staples as a rapper from LA. So I'm away with him for a couple of months and can work on festivals and
8: jump back in when I'm here. If I'm gone for for long, I do miss it. Can you tell us where you think Shelter sits within Amsterdam's club scene, as someone who obviously works in a whole multitude of various different venues? For me, Shelter is it's an
4: incredible listening space. It's a place that you, I notice that people who really want to hear an artist come to hear an artist. Of course, people come here, it's a club, you can party until, you know, 24-7. We've the, the license, 24-hour license, so you can, you know, have a proper clubbing night out. But one thing I notice about the space is that people are coming in to really hear an artist. And that's one thing about it. It's more than a club, it's really a listening space. And that's that's what I feel about it. It's it's just, in terms of the club scene, it's just superior when it comes to the to the audio experience here. So, um, yeah, that's how it stands out for me.
8: What was one of the standout highlights for you so far, the artists that kind of made your sound system sing? really hard to
4: choose one,
8: but I have to say what comes to mind is uh, Devious
4: One. Uh, Zach, he played here a couple of months ago on a night with DJ Bone. He's also, I'm a big fan and Lucky to call a friend um, to actually see him in the booth, how he plays, how he reacted, how much he was in it, and to hear the system with his music—it was just on fire. People were just gathered around watching. I mean, he's such a—he's such a busy DJ. He's not—he's like you know, like Stingray slamming one off. He's like went on and off. It's like yeah, it was—it was that was a standout moment for me, devious one. He's a really fine mind when it comes to audio. So yeah, it was it was really cool to, to sit down and talk to him about it and then have him just tear the place apart at the end of the night. So yeah, it was a really cool experience to have him here.
8: So what's it like to play here? Amsterdam clubbing ambassador and soon to be resident DJ Carlos Valdez explains. Carlos, can you kind of give us a bit of background about yourself, what you do in Amsterdam?
13: I'm Carlos, Uh, I was born in Amsterdam, started as a promoter for other parties so I would uh, have flyers and hand them out for my favorite parties and then I started making a business out of it so from there I went to booker to party organizer I I had a label but I always collected records and mainly at the moment I'm DJing and I uh, do a party uh, called is burning which is a gay party
8: so the DJ booth is quite special here can you describe the setup and explain why it's different to other places.
13: The DJ booth setup is um, um, same height as the uh, visitors. I think that's one of the most important things. It has a safe distance uh, and it has like kind of a wall of subs. Uh, So that's good because people can bump on your turntables if you're playing with vinyl. The conditions are very good for vinyl DJs, so that's amazing because that's rare. You can even if you put out the the volume of the monitors you can hear what's going on in the club so you're not completely isolated. And you are kind of approachable because people can walk around you. So it feels like you're together with people. Basically, you can walk all the way around the booth. It's not attached to
8: any wall. Um, It's slightly uh, right. There's a raised platform at the back so you can watch. But then there's also... a protective layer, let's say, so no one can throw their drinks. We can see we are connected, but we are at arm's length. Is that yeah, right? Yeah,
13: exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, you have to do a, l- a lot of acrobatics to... Fuck it up still. (laughs) Plus the the hospitality of the the club. All the people are really sweet, are very involved, are into electronic music, which is also really important. I really love warming up here. You get a lot of time, so at least three hours or more. The programming is good, so it makes kind of sense who you're playing with. I always feel really free to play here.
8: Born and raised in Amsterdam, um, someone who's been part of the Amsterdam scene for a long time how does sort of shelter do you think as a new club fit into the scene in gen- like the wider scene in general at the moment
13: i think shelter fits perfectly into the scene of now i mean at the time that Trout closed what i really 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 loved about that place it was underground and it was one floor Shelter has the same qualities. You need this because you, you don't have any other distractions of other floors and other music. So you really build this vibe together. There's not a club at the moment in Amsterdam that has a, a weekly programming with one floor. I think that's a great addition. The sound is great.
8: What about its location in Amsterdam Nord? what's happening over here with the gentrification and how does how does shelter fit into that
13: i actually grew up most of the time in amsterdam north uh, as a child it was very multicultural a lot of different cultures so i just see a lot of new stuff happening with like skate cafe garage nord a lot of young entrepreneurs are doing really cool and creative stuff this building there's a lot of money going on here so there's a different story i don't know uh, i cannot compare but i really uh, i really like the direction that Nord is going, I, um, I don't have a specific opinion about people with money moving here because I don't know. Nord is, I think, the new place, I guess.
8: This is an exciting part of Amsterdam and Shelter seems to be sort of the first stop. Carlos, do you just come here just to hang out and have fun?
13: I come here quite often because I feel at home.
8: Amsterdam Nord is a great place to visit but Koya tells me that the gentrification process has already begun to weather its cultural value. In September last year, Kim Town, director of NDSM, stepped down after two years of battling with the municipality to keep the site a creative space for public artworks. There are stylish condominiums surrounding the area already, and one of the most exclusive hotels in Amsterdam is located in a converted crane on the NDSM site itself. Nord is a hotspot for developers in a city that is still rapidly expanding. In terms of club culture, Amsterdam has one of the most international and cutthroat scenes in Holland. You can party most nights of the week here and are truly spoilt for choice at the weekends. But shelter is special. It's one of very few single-room venues with weekly in-house programming in the city. The bookings are extremely diverse. You need to pick your night in shelter, Koya admits. But once you've found it, you're not going to find a better place in Amsterdam to hear your favourite DJ play amongst a few hundred of your closest friends. The shelter staff are like family, and after one night at the club, you become part of the family too.
3: Okay, that's it for this month's edition of The Hour. Thank you for listening and thank you to all of our guests. We'll be back next month with another blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews and lots of other things besides.